This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 145. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have with me Jacob Paulson. Yes, I'm here. Yay! Jacob just got back from a uh, vacation. Yes, long one. Nice little trip you had. Yeah, I think so. Awesome. I was you behind went... enemy lines for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, you were. You visited the uh, uh, People's Republic of Comnifornia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was interesting, you know, like you walk along and look inside shops at all the souvenirs and it's it's not the same kind of souvenirs you see when you visit Wyoming or Texas, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> there was one guy sitting on the road uh like, you know, begging for for money except for his sign instead of saying we'll work for food just said F Trump. And people were just dumping cash right in front of him. Wow. Yeah. So, different world. Don't suppose you crossed paths with our friend Chris Chang while you were there, did you? No, I imagine he probably avoids all that touristy stuff. And uh, yeah, it was an anniversary trip, so I wasn't anxious to tell my wonderful bride that I wanted to hook up with some other shooters. <laughs> right on, man. Well, we're glad you made it back. Okay. So, folks, uh, welcome. Uh, this is our weekly news episode of the podcast, uh, coming to you about a day late, uh, mostly because I wanted to wait for Jacob to, to get back and situated so we could talk about some of the stories today, because uh, some of the stories, I think, are, are pretty cool. Um, but today's episode, first of all, is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Did you miss last Guardian Nation live event with Andrew Branca? If so, that's okay. Because there's a way you can go and catch the recorded session of that broadcast event. And that is if you're a member of Guardian Nation, where one of the benefits is access to all the past archived recordings of all of our Guardian Nation live broadcasts that we've done with top industry professionals. And also, if you're a member, you're going to be able to join us next week. In fact, next Tuesday, a week from today. Next Tuesday, what is that, August 15th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we will have for our August guest of the Guardian Nation Live event, that'll be Mike Seeklander. So, if you want to join us there, we hope that you'll consider joining Guardian Nation, and you can check it out and go to guardiannation.com. With that, let's get to our usual weekly training tip, and today's training tip I don't think we'd ever covered uh, this basic concept, Jacob. We've talked about a lot of things, but that is the simple act of reloading and training to do reloads. Yeah, so you should train reloading. <laughs> How is that for inspired? Wow, yes. I'm uh, I'm floored over here. Uh, so here's what I was thinking about, though, uh, this morning, is I was just kind of thinking about my own training uh, regimen, you know, and I I usually do pretty okay with reloads, uh, but I shot in a match this last weekend. In fact, that was the Wyoming, what was it, the 2017 Magpul Governors match. Mm. It was a two-gun match, so it was kind of like three-gun, but minus a shotgun, which was fun, because then I didn't have to worry about shotgun. <laughs> and uh, I... I fumbled one of my reloads, not terribly, but you know, it just 
it wasn't perfect. And and when you go to these big major matches, you want things to be perfect and you practice and you train things to be perfect. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where for me personally, I come back and it's like, all right, obviously, you know, got to work some more on reloading. And so this is what I would suggest to each of you that are listening. Reloading your handgun, uh, particularly a semi-automatic, but this would apply to if you were carrying a, re- a revolver as well. And if you were carrying spare loads for that for that revolver, obviously you should be familiar with reloading it and reloading that thing quickly and efficiently. I can't speak to that. I'm not an expert in revolver reloading. <laughs> so today we're going to be focused on uh, mostly sem- shooting semi-automatics. And it's so easy to carry spare ammunition if you're shooting a semi-auto. Uh, your ammunition is contained very uh, compactly and efficiently in a, in a magazine. And so grabbing that magazine, you know, I know folks that will just stick a spare mag in a pocket and, you know, that's okay. It's probably not preferred, but I'd rather you do that than not have a spare uh, magazine with you to begin with. Um, But whether you're sticking in a pocket or sticking in a mag pouch of some sort on, on or near your waist, you should practice that. And here's what you want to look for when you're practicing these. Obviously, you want to start and go slow. And when I start out practicing my reloading techniques, grabbing that magazine, the first thing I'm looking for is just like I am drawing my my gun from the holster, where you are trying to get that that perfect grip each time you come out of the holster. I mean, that's that's really what you're trying to master when you're drawing from a holster, practicing that. If you can't master the grip on a handgun, then you're going to be inconsistent every time you draw and inconsistent every time that first shot is is fired. And the same is true when you're drawing spare mags out of a pouch. If you do it a little bit differently every time, you're going to be inconsistent and you're going to be slower and you're going to fumble. So just like we want to establish that, that strong, solid grip drawing from a holster, you want to grab your spare mag. Properly and Jacob, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you, you know, what your goal or objective is when you're grasping your uh, spare mag. Yeah, and before I do that, just because I'm afraid I'll forget to say it, I'll, I'll add this: if you have never run something against a timer, you don't actually know what it's like to to fumble a reload. So it's good to practice this, you know, slowly and dry and you know all that good stuff. But push yourself sometime. Do an actual drill that requires, you know moving quickly that includes a reload and you'll quickly find out if your skills have paid off because it's when you really push yourself to, and you're trying to move quickly that's when you find out whether or not you've developed that muscle memory so I, that was just the thing i was thinking about so as, as far as a reload goes as you mentioned riley you know could be coming from a lot of places could be coming from a mag pouch on my strong side on my support side out of a pocket whatever it is but the idea here is we want to limit fine motor skill and opportunity for error. Uh, opportunities for errors are, would be any sort of movement or mechanism or strategy that requires I have to look at the gun or that the gun has to be turned in a very specific uh, way or angle. And so we're looking for just the most like gross, you know, workable, functional technique possible. And the most generally accepted methodology, and certainly what, you know, Riley, what I think you taught me originally and what I've been doing for for years now is to kind of index that mag uh, by placing it the index finger along the front of the magazine right underneath um, the the you know the top round that's that's you know protruding from the mag in such a way that it's really easy for me to just take that index finger and just 
you know, stick it into my hand, right? Like I'm holding the the, the gun in my right hand because I'm right-handed. And so taking my a mag, if I have it indexed with that index finger on the front and just shoving my front finger into the gun in such a way that the mag is going to, you know, chamber itself properly into the mag well is a real easy gross motor skill. Yeah, that that's really what we're shooting for here. And so that's that's what I mean is establishing that grip on that magazine. However you, however you store that magazine, you need to practice so that you're grabbing it the same way every time, indexing that mag. Uh, I do prefer this technique of my index finger literally rides on the front face of the magazine. And I my, my aim, my goal is for my index finger to basically touch the tip of the of the first round, the leading round coming out of that magazine. Because number one, I'm able to index that very well. Uh, without even looking at the gun, I can find exactly where the magazine needs to go. But also I can confirm that, that top round is is seated to the rear, that it hasn't worked its way forward uh, out of the magazine slightly, which might cause a hang up when it goes into the magwell of the gun um, or what or whatnot. So uh, that's that's a big thing. And there's you know, a couple other ways that I've seen people uh, grab magazines. Uh, sometimes I'll use more of a fist type grip on that magazine, and the hand is the magazine is oriented a little bit more sideways in the hand, as opposed to that index finger indexed along the front. I don't prefer that method, but I definitely have seen shooters that have mastered it to a point that it's very natural, and they usually will use that technique because uh, they carry their magazines in a different orientation. Uh, so regardless of how you do it or what you do, just make sure that you're grabbing it the same way every time. Now, here's the other thing I want you to practice. So as you're doing that motion slowly, I, I think no matter where or how you carry your mags, now, if you, especially, well, especially if you're carrying it on your waist, it's good to come down to the center line of your body and work your way along the waistband looking for that spare mag. Uh, if I've got multiple mags on me, which I don't often do when I'm carrying it, uh, you know, as a civilian or whatever, you know, just on the street, but as a competitive shooter or as a tactical shooter, if I'm all kitted up, you know, and I've got multiple mags, uh, you want to start with that first, you know, most forward facing mag, go to that one first and then work your way back. And, and so to make that repeatable, you want to make sure you always kind of come to the center line and work your way across the belt line, looking for those, those spare mags. I do something maybe a little bit unique. <clears throat> I might be a little bit different in this, but if I'm carrying AR mags and they're in pouches kind of like on the side or back of me, I will actually work my AR mags from the back forward and then work my pistol mags from the forward back. Um, that's just, the technique that I've developed so that I index and, and go to that same point every time until I find that location I'm looking for, you know, that where the next mag is. But here's the other thing. <clears throat> you want to, you want to work on that, establishing those grips slowly uh, at a nice, you know, slow pace until you establish speed or until you can establish speed. So once you start nailing that indexing perfectly every time, then start speeding it up. And then along with that reload is timing the uh, removal of the magazine from the gun. Um, I know there's some guys that would teach or show you that, hey, you need to, uh, before you reach for a spare mag, you need to actually hit the mag release and pull the old mag out of the gun and then grab your spare and put it in. That's kind of one of those skills where it's, there's, it's not a bad skill to have. I mean, sometimes magazines do get hung up. Um, 
I'm of the philosophy that I'm getting that mag as fast as I can. And if I'm coming up and the old mag hasn't fallen out, at that point, I'm grasping it and I'm sticking the spare mag in. Um, I don't see that there's a huge time savings to stripping the old mag out first uh, manually before going to the spare as opposed to coming up and realizing, oh, my mag's still there and now stripping and my spare mag is already right there so I can, you know, put a fresh one in. Um, But to each their own and, and there's a lot of good, you know, techniques out there. But the big thing, if I'm trying to time it to where I have minimal time of exposure where I don't have a magazine in the gun, then what you want to do is time that hitting the mag release on the gun as you're bringing the spare mag up so that you have minimal time that you are left with only one round in the gun. This is assuming you're doing like a speed reload or something. If you have a slide lock back, um, you know, you, you just got to fix that as fast as you can anyway, get back in the battery. But uh, definitely if we're doing like a speed or tactical reload, we want to minimize the time that we don't have a magazine in the gun. So there you go. I know that's kind of, I'm kind of spewing <laughs> on and on about it for a few minutes. Um, but I don't think we'd ever really uh, hit that right on the head as a as an actual training tip, a little bit of a lengthier one today. Uh, I hope it's you know beneficial for, for some of you out there listening. All right. So, <clears throat> let's get into some news stories. And first up, <clears throat> we kind of started this trend a few weeks ago <clears throat> in our news episodes where we lead off our news uh, podcast episodes with a justified story. And sometimes it's a a successful justified story. Uh, sometimes it's a not so successful one, meaning like I think we shared one where, uh, you know, a guy ended up making a wrong decision. You know, he kind of broke the law. I think we did one where somebody got killed. Um, today's one is is in another interesting justified story. I mean, it's successful in that you have a 61-year-old man in Detroit who is basically, he's being robbed. And actually, it's... I don't know if it was intended to start out that way, but he's at a store. He's at a convenience store just trying to get coffee. And a young man, a 16-year-old kid, comes in with a gun intent on robbing the place, and he runs into the 61-year-old man. He puts his, this kid puts his gun in the back of the old man. And not only that, but the 16-year-old suspect notices that 61-year-old uh, Darius Summers, who's who's the man, uh, is carrying a gun. He notices that he's got a gun on him, and he goes to to he basically tries to get it from him. Darius tries to talk back to him and says, "Hey, hey, man, hey, I just want to get out of here," um, but the kid wouldn't let him go, and he looked for an opportunity to where he was able to draw his own gun, turn and kind of sideways fire into the stomach, the abdomen of uh, the 16-year-old suspect. Yeah. A couple of things that are really important. When you go, when you click on the link in the show notes to this story, make sure you watch the video. It's kind of the news report from whoever these people are. Click on Detroit.com. But you kind of get, there's some good surveillance video footage of the incident. So you kind of get a sense for that. But a couple of things that really stuck out to me. One was the wonderful kind of attitude or approach of the victim of the 61-year-old justified shooter in this case. He really didn't want to shoot this guy, and he was really trying to talk him out of what he was doing, you know, and and really trying to de-escalate this the best he could, but he also didn't want to be shot today. Yeah, that attitude is is really, I mean, it is the right attitude as far as he did not want to kill anybody. He didn't want to have to draw his gun. He didn't want to have to shoot. Mm -hmm. He 
didn't, he just wanted to get out of the situation. He just wanted to get away. But at the same time, it was very clear that he was not about to be a victim. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's phenomenal. That's wonderful. There is one thing he said that I don't know that I would, you know, necessarily encourage as far as a mindset goes, but he said, uh, Darius Summers, the old man said, I didn't shoot to kill. I shot to save his life. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what that means, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> like I read that a couple of times. Like, what, what do you mean exactly? But you shot to save his life. Um, yeah. I mean, our, our philosophy and longtime listeners are very familiar with it is you shoot to stop threats. If, if it's worth shooting for, then it's very important. You stop that threat and you stop it fully, quickly and adequately. And, and hopefully that doesn't mean the person dies. Like we're not about, you know, killing or, you know, whatever people, um, but we are about stopping threats and we need to do that as efficiently and effectively as possible. Uh, and, and so I don't know what he means, but certainly, yeah, uh, if we put a tweak on this guy's mental game, it would be the idea that you need, you need to stop the threat. Yeah. Which, you know, the cool thing about this story is did he stop the threat? He did. So, you know, did he shoot to stop the threat? In a sense, he did. It may not have been exactly the way that I would have, you know, it may not have been my approach necessarily. And I'm not saying I would have changed things up to where I would have, you know, if it were me, I would have shot him in the head, you know, no questions asked. It's not like no, that at all. No, yeah. um, certainly a shot to the abdomen uh, is an, or can be an effective shot. Um, I generally advocate something a little bit higher than that, you know, kind of high center chest. I think is, is if I've got reason or cause to use deadly force, that's where I'm trying to put my bullets. But the end of this, if this is, is that Darius Summers, he needed to stop a threat. He stopped that threat and we applaud him for, for doing so. Uh, good for him. I mean, in this 16 year old kid apparently is going to make a recovery. He's facing a, you know, a whole host of uh, charges that he's going to have to, um, you know, own, own up to. But, uh, you know, that's the way these things these, these things go. Now, here's the other lesson learned. So if there's one lesson learned it is let's make sure that we clarify once again, because we see this so often in the media, but this concept of, you know, not shooting to kill, to, you know, shooting only to wound. That's the first lesson. You've got to make sure that that's clear. If you're carrying a gun, you've got to be responsible enough to understand that that gun's purpose is for stopping threats. That's it. Number two lesson learned from this story is how is it that this kid could see or notice that this man was carrying concealed? Yeah, I mean, and frankly, I believe the victim in this case was very lucky. Um, you know, if, if another 16-year-old might have very quick, just as quickly, have stuck that gun in his back, said, give me your money or whatever, and then detected that that person had a gun, said, oh, crap, and just started shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could have very, you know, just as easily just been shot in the back and left bleeding. Exactly. So that's the other lesson learned is once again, if, if we're concealed carriers, if we're CCWers, we've got to be responsible. Uh, I think it's wise. It's best practice to carry concealed. If you're going to be concealed because you're, yeah, I mean, this, like you said, this kid could have gone, Oh shoot, this guy might be a threat. I'm just going to shoot and ask questions later. I got to, you know, this is obviously the first guy I've got to eliminate. Number two, I think the way this, this young man looked at the situation was, ah, here's this old guy. He's got a gun, but he's an old guy. I can probably take him. And Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get his gun off of him and I'm going to rob him and I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take care of this guy first. Yeah, I'm going to score know. a gun in addition to some cash. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, 
that's that's one of the reasons why I think it's so critical to be concealed and remain concealed is is that reason right there. We don't want to have our own gun come into play until we're ready to bring it into play. And that's a really key uh, you know component. So let's move on now uh, to the Daily Caller. This is a kind of a fascinating story here, or fascinating. We're going to talk about a, a proposed legislation. I think is is rather fascinating. And this is a legislation proposed by U.S. Representative Chris Collins, who has proposed uh, to – he's introduced legislation that would shield popular, pop, popular rifles and shotguns, including the AR-15, from being banned under state laws. The bill known as the Second Amendment Guarantee Act, or SAGA, S-A-G-A, would also protect parts for these firearms, including detachable magazines and ammunition feeding devices. Now, so you know, Representative Collins is the representative from the state of New York that in his, uh, his, his, his area is, he's from uh, Buffalo, New York. Okay, which is in upstate New York. Um, obviously, things in upstate New York are different than in New York City, uh, politically speaking. Uh, so that's going to come into play here in just a moment. But he's talking about proposing this as a law for all of the U.S. as a response to anti-gun laws in states like California, Connecticut, uh, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York, and also District District of Columbia. So, yeah. So, I, 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 a couple thoughts here. I, I'm glad you pointed out that he was from New York because I was gonna I was gonna mention that. My my first thought would be this: Is there an organization like an agency out there who just helps? representatives come up with really cool law names that will have good acronyms? I think it's a like a course that's taken in uh, political science, you know, yeah. school. Second for, Amendment uh, Guarantee <laughs> Act, saga. <laughs> I think it's a requirement to get hired as a, as a, uh, a government aid. Yeah, I think it's really good. Uh, I just think that, man, these guys always come up with these great acronyms. Um, no, that that I, I it was on my mind but here here'd be some other you know considerations you know the heller decision we're all familiar with the 2008 US Supreme Court decision district of columbia versus heller and that decision made it really clear that handguns were subject to second amendment protection right that they couldn't be banned that the that the average american citizen had a right to own a handgun for self defense and and so it kind of leaves this this area of question, perhaps, about these rifles. And I think, uh, in this case, Congressman Collins is saying, "Hey, you know, the Supreme Court didn't, you know, clearly protect this, so we need to do that. We need to do it because you have states like California or Maryland where these these firearms are, are essentially being completely banned." Um, now, here here's the other thing I'll, I'll throw out there. We've seen repeatedly how difficult it is for these states to ban uh, AR-15s or, or other guns. In fact, we have a really good article on our website called, uh, what's it called? Assault Rifle Definition Challenges. And we'll, we'll, I'll throw the link in the show notes for everybody. But I, I think that we, we sometimes you know, have found that even when they try and ban these things, they can't because they can't figure out how to define what it is that they're trying to ban because they either end up banning nothing or banning everything when they try and define, you know, an assault rifle, which, which is basically impossible. So I, I, I applaud you know, Congressman Collins for introducing this legislation. I don't think it can get all the way through personally, just Jacob throwing out my two cents, but this would be a good time to start writing representatives. 
Well, and this is also the time to, if you're going to introduce something like this, this is the time to do it. Where yep. you know, we have a uh, president and, generally speaking, a Senate and House that is more more likely to be receptive to this type of legislation. I, I tend to agree. My own analysis is that this is probably, it's got a little bit of a long road ahead of it. Um, it's probably more of a political play, you know, as far as um, uh, appealing to or appeasing, um, you know, supporters and lobbyists, you know, to, to say, Hey, look what I've done. I've, you know, I've made this effort. Um, yeah, I, I, I did it knowing it wasn't going to get through, but Hey, at least I tried sort of thing. You know, that, that this legislation is proposed like that all the time where that's the, that's the point. That's the purpose. This one has, a, has a challenge in that it does bring into, uh, into play the, this conflict between, uh, a strong federal government and states' rights. And I, I'm a big believer in states' rights. I really am. Uh, in fact, I'm probably more of a believer in states' rights than I am of a really strong, you know, powerful federal government. And so it, it, it's always one of those things where it's like I feel conf- conflicted, and I think rightfully so, because what you're going to see happen is, and we're already seeing it, here's our next story, where uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo uh, of New York uh, he has come out of obviously against this legislation that Representative Collins has proposed, uh, saying, "Look, this is this tramples our rights as a state," and I kind of have to agree. You know, uh, I don't agree with what New York has done with re- respect to their gun laws. I don't agree with Governor Cuomo at all on a lot of policy things, but as far as states' rights being valid, you know, and recognized, uh, he's got a point. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm a big, I, I like to believe I like state state rights, but I also believe that the U S constitution is the, is the, is, you know, is the government of the land, right? It is the defining thing of that all of us have to be in line with. And I do believe that the second amendment is meant to, or should is either meant to, or should, uh, protect our right to own those rifles and shotguns. And so I think that I would support federal legislation that would clarify that the existing law of the land does include these particular items. Uh, and that's how I see it. Now, and that is the kicker there, by the way. And that's where I, I, I'm also on board with this legislation. Uh, I, I'm not saying, I want to clarify, I wasn't saying that, you know, I disagree with this legislation at all because of uh, my strong belief in states' rights. Uh, but I'm just simply recognizing that there likely will be a battle if some if a law like this got passed. And I understand that battle. Uh, but I, that's that's the kicker for me is that this is the Second Amendment, and I do believe that those precious uh, rights, uh, God-given rights. Uh, that I personally believe that are secured, that are recognized, that are protected in the in the not the well by the Constitution of the United States. That is something that I think that should apply universally across the board, uh, in no matter what state you're in. And so that is where, as I think through this, I understand the different sides, the different arguments. But I go, hey, it's the Second Amendment, 
And we are big, you know, you guys know we're big fans here at the Concealed Carry Podcast, the Second Amendment, and anything that strengthens our rights as citizens to own firearms and to defend ourselves. But I might just clarify that to own those firearms for any purpose, any lawful reason or purpose, that is part of the Second Amendment. And I, I'm excited that we have representatives that are willing to, to go out there and propose a legislation that hopefully would make it better and stronger for all of us. We'll just have to see. So let's turn now to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Speaking of, you know, more politics here. Uh, we've got Wisconsin Republicans and Democrats. Can I interrupt you? Go, go for it. So speaking of Wisconsin, Riley and I are going to be in Wisconsin later this month. That's true. We we will be attending the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Yeah. So for you listeners, if you want to, you know, meet up and give us a high five, uh, Riley, are you going to bring some swag, some stickers or something? Yeah, I'll totally have swag with me. All right. So if you see me and Riley walking around at the NRA Expo, stop us and we'll hook you up with a podcast sticker or something. Yeah. Look for either Guardian Nation uh, t-shirts or concealedcarry.com. Polos. Yeah, new Guardian Nation members, wear your shirt. Guardian Nation hat. So I'll have a Guardian Nation hat on. Ooh. (laughs) So yeah, come find us. We'll be we'd love to to meet up with our with our peeps at the NRA Carry Guard Expo. Um, It's the first time the NRA has put on an an expo like this that's more focused on concealed carry and self-defense, whereas obviously the the yearly, you know, and long-time running uh, NRA annual meetings is uh, more general, you know, interest. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how this whole show comes together and, you know, what it, it, you know, I I suspect it'll be a success. Um, It'll be fun. So we look forward to seeing you there. But speaking, like you said, of Wisconsin, uh, Republicans and Democrats there in, in the state are uh, kind of butting heads over guns over a gun safety course. Uh, so I didn't think I think we mentioned this on the podcast too a week or two ago about uh, Republicans in uh, Wisconsin proposing uh, legislation that would allow Wisconsin high schools to offer gun safety courses. Democrats are saying such classes are not appropriate and could generate fear in classrooms. <laughs> I I read that, Jacob. I don't even get through that first paragraph. And I'm like, seriously, that's the logic? The yeah, logic I, is that by educating children about gun safety and that that is somehow going to generate more fear. Usually when we learn about something and get become more educated about something, generally that knowledge and that education displaces fear. Do you agree? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm scared to death of math from all of those <laughs> math courses. And uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, right? That, that would suggest that anything we're teaching creates fear of that thing, which is stupid. Uh, I, I've not read the legislation, so maybe I'm missing something. But as far as I can infer from the article, it just feels like the intent is to allow, not require, but allow a school to offer a gun safety class. And no live ammunition would be allowed. And uh, I think the inference is that, um, you know, some teacher might stand up and say, hey, 
you know, this is how a safety works and this is how you don't point it at other people and blah, 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 blah. And there's a quote in here. Let's see if I can find it real quick. The bill's authors, rep- representatives Skowronski and Cleefish, Ooh, man, they said the bill is designed to help schools trap and target shooting teams learn more about guns. And that makes sense to me, you know, that that might be something you do, that you allow a school to teach a safety class that might get someone interested in the shooting sports. So, I mean, we're not, they're not trying to push this on schools. It's not, it's not required. You know, I, I don't see the big beef, but maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. You know, one of the arguments, well, actually, there's two arguments here that I'll quote uh, from the article, uh, Representative Gary Hebel. Um, I got some interesting names up there in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, he said, I'm assuming he must be one of the Democrats because he's obviously against this. He said, no teacher, no janitor, no student knows for a fact that a gun isn't loaded. There are so many problems with this. And I'm thinking, do they think, I mean, do we think so lowly of our instructors? And by the way, most of the instructors, in fact, I think, what it says in the legislation is that it would be either someone, a representative from the, you know, an employee of the Department of Natural Resources, a police officer, or an organization that specializes in firearm safety. They would develop the curriculum, and probably a lot of those same people would be teaching that curriculum. It's like, I mean, dude, <laughs> this isn't Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, <laughs> you don't just go walking through school with a you know, with a, with a rifle, uh, because, Hey, I'm on my way to teach a safety class, you know, like it's going to be cased. It's going to be properly handled. It's going to be done professionally. So, I mean, that argument's pretty dumb, but here's the other thing. Someone suggested that a child, a student might bring ammunition to school. They might sneak it into the school and that that gun being there would give them the opportunity to load that gun and shoot people with it. And I'm like, why wouldn't they just bring a gun? If they could sneak the exactly, if they can sneak the ammunition into the school, if they can get access to ammunition, chances are they can get access to a gun and sneak that gun to school and shoot the place up. The logic is just astounding, Jacob. Yeah, well, you know they're they're not Shakespeare. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, so uh, there you have it. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, we applaud those uh, in the Wisconsin legislature, though, that are uh, pushing forth this uh, this legislation. I think it's wonderful. And similar legislation has been proposed in Idaho and North Carolina as well, you should know. So pretty cool. All right. So now to our next story. And boy, this is a bit of a, this is a doozy of a story. And I, I'll admit it kind of cuts to the heartstrings just, just a little bit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm a bit of a fan. But the story is that Sig Sauer, there, there's some rumors going around of the P320 pistols having safety issues, particularly relating to guns firing when dropped. And while I, I would say I'm still waiting for all of the facts and all of the details to uh, you know, come to light, uh, it is something I think is worth – I mean, I couldn't feel like – I didn't feel like we couldn't talk about it in the podcast today. I felt like we had to address it. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a, th- a 320. I love it. I love shooting it. I've carried it. I've not had a problem with with it or with carrying it as a gun or considering it as something for uh, self-defense. 
but um, some of the stories are are definitely a little bit concerning. So here's one of the one of the stories. One of the stories is an officer in Connecticut is on like on the on the SWAT team or something, and he's got a holstered gun in a gun belt that he's trying to load into a vehicle, and he fumbles the the gun and the holster, and you know the gun is in the holster, so it's not like the trigger can be pressed or anything like that. Um, he drops the gun belt. The gun fires. It wounds him in the leg. He is now suing Sig Sauer. Um, that's obviously pretty concerning. Like that's that sort of thing should not happen. And I'll tell you, I mean, Jacob, you and I, we are both P three twenty armorers. Mm-hmm. We know them pretty intimately. Yep. And though you do, you you can disassemble and reassemble it slightly faster than me, which I'm still pretty upset about. Slightly, like like. 30 seconds faster. <laughs> oh, not fair. It's a rematch. Rematch. Um, you know, but we know these things intimately inside and out. I also know a Glock very intimately inside and out. You will too soon. I think you've got an armorer's course coming up for uh, Glock, right? I do. Yeah, here in a couple weeks. Yeah. So, uh, but the 320 has safety devices inside of it. In particular, a a striker safety or a firing pin safety, uh, depending on who you talk to and what it's called. Um, that alone should typically keep a gun from firing when dropped. Now, the one thing that differentiates the 320 from a Glock is that the Glock has a tr- an additional trigger safety. It's a little hinged device on the trigger itself that it you know prevents that trigger from being able to travel rearward until something is placed on the trigger, a finger ideally, obviously, and pulls it back. On the SIG, on the 320, that trigger safety does not, it's not present. So the thinking is, now, <clears throat> SIG came out with a statement, you should know, and they said in pretty clear terms that our pistol has been tested very thoroughly, and it meets and exceeds all U.S. standards for safety, including the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, and Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institute, or SAMI, as well as rigorous testing protocols for global military and law enforcement agencies. Um, Bruce Gray is a well-respected man in the firearms community, a very talented gunsmith. He put out a, a statement, uh, you know, wrote a little blog post last week saying there's nothing wrong with the 320. I, I respect a man like Bruce Gray and I hear that and I go, okay, all right. Well, I, 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 I believe you, but over the weekend, there's a story on Omaha outdoors that came out where they tested dropping 320s. And of course they're doing this with primed empty casings, uh, so no bullets, no powder in these brass cases, just a primer so that you definitely know when the gun fires and they repeatedly drop the guns. Now, one thing that they found that was interesting is that testing using the standard U S protocols, uh, the guns didn't have any problems. Now, most of those protocols involve dropping the gun, uh, a variety of different ways in different directions, uh, but they generally all follow a similar um, formula, which is the, the the bore is generally parallel to the ground. There, one of the, one thing what they found out is dropping it kind of at a slight, you know, as at a, basically a backwards angle where the back of the slide is facing the ground and falling on the rear of the slide 
they were able to discharge the gun when it was particularly when it was done from a, a little bit higher elevation, you know, up about five feet. So it appears that the mass of the trigger on the 320 is substantial enough to to cause with a, with that sudden drop to cause that trigger to continue moving rearward on on impact uh, firing the gun. That's very interesting. So I'm I'm just laying it all out there, the you know the facts as far as I know or understand them, uh, because I think people should be made aware of this sort of thing. Um, and I also th- want to make it clear that it is completely reasonable and fair. It's only fair for Six Hour to have the opportunity to respond. Um, now they did have their initial statement that was released. Um, now I just had an email come in about an hour or two ago from SIG saying that they are issuing a volunteer, a voluntary upgrade of the 320. They haven't said exactly what that upgrade will entail, but it will be something that you can um, get details on that on this program on Monday, August 14th next week. So some people are surmising that it could be a trigger safety, you know, a replacement trigger with a trigger safety on, on the trigger, uh, similar to like a Glock or uh, XD, because SIG's already developed that. They developed that when they released the 320, um, but they just never released it actually on the production guns. So there you go. That's that's all the facts. What do you think, Jacob? Well, yeah, it sounds like a lot of story for a real short ending. You know, it's like, hey, they have problems. No, they don't. Yeah, actually, we test them. They do. Oh, maybe they do. Um, Well, we won't admit they have a problem, but don't worry. We're going to put a fix in there. Yeah. Now, I reached out to uh, Phil Strader at Six Hour. Uh, he is the pistol program manager. So, I mean, he oversees uh, the pistols, the design of the pistols, um, and uh, just just you know, I'm just letting, this is just in full disclosure, uh, asking if he had any statements or any information for us. I let him know we'd be talking about the podcast. Uh, he didn't have anything for me. He said, the, all the higher ups, you know, those, uh, above his pay grade, it's, it's something that they're looking into. And, and I trust that they are, I mean, lest we think that Sig Sauer in their pursuit, in their evil pursuit of global domination and wealth would, willingly and knowingly put people's lives in jeopardy. I, I call BS on that. And there's people online that are, are saying, well, you know, there's such a corporation now and that's all I care about is the money. Um, I don't think so because if people start getting accidentally shot by their guns, SIG goes out of business very fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does. <laughs> uh, any, yeah. We have to believe that they're a smart enough company, you know, aside from the moral ethical thing, which, you know, to each their own, you can believe whatever you want, you know, but aside from that, any good, smart business, especially a large business, would, would realize that if you put out a bad product, you're not going to be in business very long. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, knowing some of the folks personally over there at SIG, I, I, I don't believe these people intend for anyone to get hurt. And I do believe that they will put out uh, an appropriate statement at an appropriate time, an appropriate solution if it's necessary. And uh, we will, you know, time will tell. Uh, as for me, I will continue carrying my SIG uh, from time to time. Uh, today, I'm not carrying it. Today, I'm carrying the Glock 19. Uh, it has more to do with a, a holster that I'm testing out and trying uh, for review more than anything. Um, I've been doing the same with the SIGs. So I've been kind of trading off back and forth between between the, the SIG and the Glock. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
still carry it. Now I've replaced my trigger in mine and that was more of a personal preference with the apex flat trigger, which does not have as much mass as the standard, you know, stock trigger from SIG. And I suspect it probably is not as susceptible. Uh, I, I could test it. I haven't done so yet, but I could test it. I suspect, cause this is what Omaha outdoors came up with. If you use a lighter trigger, um, then it's not an issue. Uh, so, uh, I'm particularly not concerned with my own because I'm, I'm running that apex trigger as it is already. Um, and you might consider doing it too. It actually makes the trigger nicer. So go check out the apex trigger for the 320. All right. So let's move on now to um, the ranger.org, which is, I think it's a, a school publication, a college. Um, I'm not exactly sure what college it is. San Antonio College, maybe. I know it's, it's in up San Antonio. To Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this is this is quite a story. Uh, Jacob, why don't you tell folks what what changed in the law in Texas uh, earlier this year? Yeah, so we you you probably recall that last year the law went into effect on January fr- well, the law went into effect on January 1st with a provision that campus carry would become legal on August 1st of 2016. However, that uh, essentially only affected universities, right? Four-year colleges and 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 up kind of idea. And this year, effective August first, the law went into effect that essentially extended or um, added the inclusion of two-year colleges to the provision that allows that concealed carriers be able to carry on campus. And it only covers public schools, so private schools can continue to do whatever they want. Uh, but these public schools, now two-year colleges and four-year universities, et cetera, have to allow concealed carry. They can create certain uh, restrictions. They can say you have to have uh, a holster with retention, for example, or if they have some really good viable reason, they might be able to say you can't have it at this particular location at this particular time because it's secure for whatever thing. So they can they can put into place some reasonable restrictions based on the attorney general's guidelines. So we're kind of like rehashing all the drama again, as far as I can tell. Like last year in August, we had to go through all the protests and all the drama about how everybody was going to get shot in every university in Texas and no one's been shot. And now here we are a year later doing it all over again for two-year colleges. And we, we've talked about some of the fun antics that professors have used. Um, you, listeners may recall that there was a, a couple of Texas professors who essentially were holding their um, office hours at bars across from campus so that they could ensure that their students couldn't bring guns into their office for office hours because you can't have a gun at a, at a, at a bar in Texas. Um, and there's been ridiculous protests that I don't even want to talk about, but, but this professor in this story has done something I, I think that might be new. <laughs> so <laughs> this professor at, I think it's San Antonio College, um, this professor, his name is Charles Keith Smith, he teaches geology, uh, or excuse me, geography, physical geography. Uh, he is an adjunct professor on campus there, and he showed up at class on August 1st. Uh, this was a summer school class wearing a bulletproof vest and army helmet, it says, according to the article, as a visual statement of his opposition to the campus carry law as it went into effect in two-year colleges oh, in yeah. Texas. Here's my favorite, his, his quote from, this is from Smith. This is me making a statement that I do not approve of it, and I feel threatened. <laughs> he feels threatened, Riley. Like, this is really interesting to me. It really legitimately is. Like, you feel 
threatened. And he tells a story about how, you know, in the previous year, some of his students, like, you know, there was a fist fight that broke out over seating arrangements in the, in the class. I don't, I don't, I don't just deny that. I don't also, I'm not terribly surprised by that. Uh, but I think that, you know, you can you can say whatever you want. You know we have an extremely large data data set and track record for college kids across the country in various states carrying guns and not shooting their professors or students. Uh, you know for for any random momentary emotional reason, uh, it just hasn't happened. And as far as I'm aware, we don't have any any data whatsoever that would support that any permit holder legally carrying a gun on a college campus has used it in any illegal way. Um, I'm not, I don't think it's ever happened. Um, if it's happened to someone, please email me. But as far as I'm aware, it's never happened. So, in, you know, all the emotion and, and the fist fight uh, from last year aside, if this guy is really a professor, he should get in tune with the data. Indeed. Uh, We've talked about that before. Now, uh, Professor Smith said that he borrowed the vest and helmet from his son who retired from the army. And I'm thinking, you know, first of all, kudos to your son for serving our our nation uh, honorably for retiring from from said army. Um, That's wonderful. I suspect that Professor Smith wouldn't have any problem with trusting his son carrying a gun just because of who his son is. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of these students that are that could very well be in classes that Professor Smith is teaching um, could very well be veterans because, I mean, that's they, they go into the military, they get out, uh, they've got their GI Bill, they go to college, they go to a community college, perhaps like this one or, or something or somewhere else. And, you know, why shouldn't we trust people like that? Now, obviously, those are not the only students, but this is interesting. He says... Uh, he referred to the University of Texas at Austin Tower shooting when Charles Whitman used a rifle to kill 15 people in Wound 31. That was back in like 66, I think. Um, he he said that because of this campus carry law, he does not know who has guns and worries that the mental state of a student who carries a gun might increase the risk of a shooting. And I'm thinking, number one, <laughs> this law, either existing or not existing, has no bearing on... Uh, whether someone could show up on campus and shoot shoot the place up, just like Charles Whitman did 50 years ago. Uh, it has no bearing on, you know, a mental mentally unstable person either carrying or not carrying a gun on the campus, even if there was a law against it in the first place. Uh, you already talk, talked on and touched on the, the, the data, Jacob, as far as states and the history that we have in states where campus carry has been the law of the land for some time now. And we've had hardly any instances at all that would suggest that logic like what he is using and other professors are using, you know, would that, 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 that there's a problem with campus carry. Uh, and he says down below in the article, what if a student gets an F in my class? It is automatically my fault. Once again, the law doesn't keep somebody from still coming on campus and shooting you or stabbing you. Or bashing your head with a brick because you gave him an F. So maybe not. maybe you should just, you know, move to California, Mr. Smith, and continue wearing your body armor and your helmet because you never know. You never know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, I if he wants to wear body armor, I say, sweet, dude. Yeah. Go to town. Wear it every day. It's all good. But you should probably get a gun to go with it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
Yeah. If you're so concerned, yeah, wear the body armor and carry a gun. Wow. What a concept, Professor Smith. All right. Uh, but get trained first. Let's turn now to uh, the TSA. Uh, we've we've reported stories like this before where the TSA has a record week or a record month or a record year as far as firearm seizures uh, and security. You know, people going through security at the airports and trying to get through security either, you know, intentionally or many times probably unintentionally with unlawful weapons uh, as far as, you know, what's not allowed to go on a plane. Um, And so this is a a story from the TSA's blog that says during the week of July 24th to the 31st, they had a record week uh, where they had 96 firearms over that last week um, that they uh, seized. Uh, The previous record was 89 from the previous uh, month. From yeah. the previous month, right. Of those 96 firearms discovered, 85 were loaded, and 26 had a round in the chamber. In the chamber. So, there you go, folks. Stop trying to go through security <laughs> with your guns. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, gun ownership's going up. Concealed carry permit-ish, you know, CCW percentages are going up. We've reported on that. And so, it to some degree, makes sense that the number of firearms being caught in uh, carry-on luggage would also go up. The problem is that you know, we would like to believe that education and training are going up and, and gun owners are becoming you know, more law-abiding, more careful, more cautious, and more safe, which would suggest that this number should at least stay flat, if not go down. So cut it out. <laughs> but if any of our listeners are guilty, which seems unlikely. It's... It's an easy mistake to make. It really is. I mean, if you're not careful, um, because when you live the concealed carry lifestyle, it becomes such a part of you as far as always having that gun on you. Um, it's it's just, it's very easy, I can see, for, for some people to forget that they got a gun on them or that they've got a gun in a bag, you know, that sort of thing. Um, other well, I think com- what happens, I, I think it's more people who live the, the traveler lifestyle who then, you know indulge in a gun-related activity and forget to remove it before their next trip. Uh, I, I, th- I think that's more often the issue. And I'm completely conjecturing here. I don't have any data to back that up. But it, it to me, it makes more sense that, you know, a random a CCWer who in and out all the time carries is more likely to say, oh, I'm going on a trip. That's unusual for me. I need to prepare and think and be cautious and so I don't end up in trouble versus someone who travels all the time and kind of it's very routine and they don't really think about what's in their bag because they do this all the time and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, something they've done differently in their, in their lifestyle, you know, lands a gun in the bag. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's not just guns, but also knives and ammunition are oftentimes uh, caught in security as well. Um, you know, so it's just my own personal practice just because guns are a part of my life and my lifestyle and, and not just the guns, but the ammunition and all that. Every time I am going to fly, I even though a lot of times the bags I'm using for travel are not bags that should ever have a gun or ammunition stored in them. Um, it's still a habit for me to just just do, do a double check, you know, before you pack the bags, just do a double check because it's going to save you a lot of trouble and headache. Uh, the fines can be tremendous uh, if we're getting caught. Um, and of course, there's the delays too to your travel. So uh, yeah, 
So anyway, just a reminder to be careful out there. If you want to go back and listen to episode 54 titled Air Travel with a Firearm and Ammo of the Concealed Carry Podcast, that'd be a good resource for you on that particular topic. Here's just a fun little quick side note, Riley. Um, it, on this blog post, the link that we've put in the show notes, which by the way, TSA, you guys are great at having a great blog. Good work. Yeah. Um, Denver is listed three times in, in terms of someone at the Denver airport having a gun uh, taken. And there's a column in this chart for caliber of gun. And if the if if we don't know the caliber of the gun that was that was confiscated, there's just a question mark. And apparently the Denver TSA professionals can't determine caliber of gun because in all th- all three guns that were confiscated at Denver International Airport have a question mark. We don't know the caliber. Yeah, I noticed that as well. And your your biggest offenders, by the way, are all of those airports that are your you know your major most busy. Uh, airports in the in the country, and particularly those that are probably in more gun friendly states. Uh, so, like Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Atlanta, Denver, um, Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, those are some of your big. Those are the top offenders. five. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, watch out. Be careful. All right. So now we're to our justified segment of the podcast. And this first story is out of Memphis, Tennessee, where a man wanted by police for ramming Memphis police cruisers and speeding off was shot and killed by a homeowner over the weekend. Uh, I should clarify, this is actually about a week-old story, so it would have been last weekend. But um, the homeowner said it was all in self-defense. The homeowner said he was in his driveway trying to protect himself, his family, and his neighbors. As a last resort, he opened fire. Larry Hampton said he has some remorse for shooting and killing the man in his driveway, but he stands firmly behind his choice to pull the trigger. To protect myself, my family, my neighbors, I feared for my life, Hampton said. Yeah, the details on this one are awful, and and it's I'm having a hard time pu- putting the, the picture together. Yep. L- let me see if I can... I mean, I'll, I'll share with you what we know. And what we know is you had this man. His name is Billy Rand Sandin. He had uh, rammed two police cars, uh, led them on a police chase. Um, he had uh, eight active warrants out for him. So I suspect it just started out as the police got onto him and he did not want to get caught. Uh, he ended up. That, in, that was a week before this incident. Right, right. Now, somehow he ended up in the area where Mr. Hampton, the homeowner that we've already quoted from, where he lives. And Sandon, the suspect, was seen jumping on neighbors' car hoods and trying to break into their cars. He even tried to break into Hampton's truck. So it appears he's trying to steal his next, you know, getaway vehicle, so to speak. Um, And so... Once again, there's not a lot of details here because we don't know exactly how Ham- how it is that Hampton ends up outside in his driveway, but it's likely, I mean, we could assume that he notices, hey, there's a dude out there jumping on the hood of my truck or he's bashing on the windows, he's trying to steal my truck. Uh, he goes out um, and this is what Hampton said. He said, uh, to, to this is to the suspect, I said, don't do nothing else. Walk away. Don't do nothing. He looked at me, then he dived into the truck. Hampton said Sandlin, I've been saying Sandlin, huh? Sandlin continued trying to get a weapon even after two shots were fired. I fired two shots and told him to stop moving, and he was still trying to get the weapon out. Then I fired three more shots. 
Yeah, th- this this is where we have either something missing or we have some really bad action on on the case of the homeowner, uh, despite it turning you know turning out okay. If I if I can read behind the li- between the lines here, and assuming we're not missing some great detail, what I see is homeowner exits the house and says, "Stop trying to break into my truck." Guy says, "Screw you! I'm going to break into your truck anyway." Homeowner fires at him uh, twice, misses, I guess. And and thinks that that the bad guy is reaching for a weapon while he's breaking into the truck. I guess maybe there's a weapon in the truck. Anyway, he thinks he's he's reaching for a weapon, so he shouts another warning. You know, stop it! And the bad guy continues to break into truck slash reach for weapon, and so he shoots three more times. I mean, he said there that he was trying to reach for a weapon. Uh, we don't know when a weapon came into play. Um, so that's where I'm not going to judge this guy yet. Um, if he was firing his gun simply to prevent the theft of his vehicle. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not, it's not the right call. Um, but, uh, if there was a weapon involved in some form or fashion, then he might've had justification. Um, what we do know is that there is not yet there's no charges being filed against anyone including including the homeowner that fired the shots um, so uh, you know maybe maybe that will change but i don't i i don't know that i would expect it uh so yeah I, I, yeah i mean once again we're we're always concerned with stopping threats and that was very apparent if if folks you know in my sponsor message in the beginning of the episode of the day about guardian nation uh, we had last month uh, Andrew Branca, uh, attorney, self-defense attorney, uh, author of The Law of Self-Defense, working on getting him on the podcast hopefully soon. And he made it very clear in talking with us, uh, it's all about stopping threats. You know, the threat is what's key. So I don't know. This is an interesting story, though, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah it is interesting. I didn't. I didn't mean to totally pass judgment, but there's definitely some details here that are missing that don't make sense. I mean, if you read Absolutely. it, you might quickly assume that he's just shooting at this guy to get him to stop breaking into the truck. But then he, he mentions trying to get a weapon out, and you're like, I, I'm, I'm confused on uh, where that fits here. Yeah, and I, I did a you know some googling too, you know, to try to find additional news reports about this situation. Um, and I, I came up empty handed, so there just, there are no details. Let's move on now to a story out of, uh, also Tennessee, Tennessee. And this was in Nashville. Um, uh, and this is quite a story. Uh, I'm going to let you share the details on this one, but I'll give you a little hint. It involves a gun and a fork. That's one way to set it up. Uh, you know, I just got done spending like uh, quite a decent amount of time in a hotel room. So reading this actually kind of set home for me. So here, here's kind of how you frame this up. Uh, you are with a friend and you arrive at a hotel. You enter an elevator along with a, a stranger. So there's three people total in the elevator. You go up to your level. You exit the elevator with your friend and the third party also exits on the same floor. Nothing strange about that. You turn one direction to head toward your room, and the third-party stranger turns and exits the opposite direction, walking in the opposite direction. Nothing strange about that. You get to your room, you go in, you close the door, and you're hanging out. And apparently, you decide to take your gun and set it down on the table. 
in the hotel room. Don't know why, but that's what you've done. Your Glock 19 specifically. Uh, so you've set your gun down, and within a minute or so of you arriving in the room, you hear a knock at the door. You open it, and that same dude that was in the elevator with you is reaching through the door trying to stab you with something. So you retrieve your Glock 19 from the table where you set it down, and you shoot at said dude trying to stab you through the door, and you hit him in the bicep and he runs off. And it turns out later that you find out that the knife he was attacking you with was no knife at all. It was a fork. <laughs> That's a crazy story, man. It's wild. It's like, <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. N- number one, just about anything can be a weapon. Uh, fork's probably not an ideal weapon, but it certainly is a weapon. Um, as to why this guy was trying to stab this apparently random hotel guest with a fork who knows i <laughs> this is really bizarre uh, you know c- good for this man for having a gun um i i can kind of understand you know i mean uh you've been maybe traveling all day or whatever and you've been carrying that gun on your person and you know you're gonna kick back you want to relax you lay down you take the gun off um yeah i've probably done that when i get to my hotel um, I generally try to carry on my person all the time, but when I'm getting ready to go down to bed, I'm going to take it off. Fortunately, it was close enough for him to retrieve and he was able to use it. He shot uh, the, the uh, suspect. This, this suspect's name is, he's 48-year-old James Grisham. I don't know that we, we don't know who the victim was, you know, the the hotel guest. Uh, but uh, uh, the the suspect, Mr. Grisham, was shot in the left bicep. Uh, he was hospitalized, and and uh, f- charges, of course, been filed against Grisham for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. So there you go. Like I said, even forks, of course, can be a weapon. Yeah, yeah, it's all <laughs> all in the intent. Be be ready for that kind of stuff. I find that story so interesting because he rode the elevator with the guy. You know, and it's one of those things where I I wonder if you could go back and play that in your mind. Could you could you have picked up on any signs, you know, any sort of information or a hint that this guy was about to do what he was, what he, what he did. Yeah. Which kind of reminds me of that book left a bang. Yeah. I mean, perhaps I mean, it's really hard to understand what that guy was thinking, you know, for him to walk the other direction and then follow them to the room. And then a minute to go by him say, now I'm going to attack these guys in their room, you know, for whatever. It's just a lot of things don't seem to add up. Um, a little side note, and I don't know if we said this, but the, the attacker, the bad guy or bad gal, the BG, um, in this case, was not a guest of the hotel, did not have his own hotel room. So he entered that hotel with bad intent out of the gate. It's not like he was on his way to his room and decided to break into someone else's room. He, he was not a guest of the hotel at all. Yeah. Yep. On to Katy, Texas, where neighbors in the Sundown neighborhood in West Harris County are on edge after deputies warned them of a home invasion suspect on the run. Deputies said while the suspect got away, a second suspect was shot and killed when the duo tried to rob a 60-year-old grandmother inside her home. As a search helicopter circled overhead, Teresa Roberts and other neighbors were keeping their eyes open. I heard it was a burglar, and I live in this neighborhood, Teresa Roberts said. Some were visibly upset after learning a 60-year-old grandmother shot and killed a man inside her home. Harris County deputies told Eyewitness News, and this is according to ABC13.com, two young men entered through an open garage and walked right into the house. 
Both were armed with pistols. She confronted both suspects, retrieved a handgun, and fired several times at both suspects. Hey, Riley, how old's your mom? She, boy, she's not quite 60. Um, how old is she now? 50-something. My mom is 64. She's My mom is 60. Well, she'll be... No, she just turned 66. So... I'm totally, you know, dating myself now too, right? Because now, by the way, my mom was very young when she had me. Well, she was like 19 or 20. She was 20 when she had oh, there me. There you go. So anyway, just I was just thinking, you know, I mean, it says grandma, but we're not talking about someone who's decrepit. And earlier we shared a story from a 61-year-old man. And, uh, you know, this, this is an older person, but, you know, 60, you know, still in the workforce probably. And yeah, sure, they have grandkids. You know, my, my mom has grandkids, right? Obviously, she has like 14 of them. But anyway, I just wanted to, sometimes I think we hear these ages and depending on where you're at in your own little life journey, that may sound really old or really young. So yeah, let's, let's keep kind of some you know, context there. Here, here would be my, my, my first thought, open garage, right? Like why, why do we have an open garage for these guys to just walk right into the house? They're, they're fugitives. They're running off. They're trying to get away from the deputies or chasing them down. Now, hey, open garage, like sweet and just walk right in. So we got to be better about our physical security. We got to be on top of that stuff. Last week, you and Matthew recorded the, the podcast on Wednesday. I just recently listened to it. And uh, Matthew talked about how, you know, even when he lets the dog outside, he locks the door again. Uh, he unlocks it to let the dog back in, then he locks it again. You know, I mean, just being really vigilant about those things goes a long way. And I, I would hate to think what would have happened if this woman had not been prepared. Both the subjects were armed with pistols. They were looking for a quiet place to hide. When you're running away from cops, when you are desperate to not be caught, you're probably going to do anything it takes to not get caught. Yeah, scary situation for sure for her. Um, I That was exactly what I was taking away from this story was, well, number one, just another reminder, like we talked in last week's episodes, Matthew and I, about being constantly you know, vigilant and ready, uh, having that gun on you at all times, uh, which certainly would bode well for situations like this, but also it's that physical security of the home. Do not create or present opportunities to become a victim. And leaving a garage, uh, whether it's the main door or a man door, a side door, uh, you know, leaving those things unsecured um, or open, leaving you know that opportunity available uh, for somebody to take advantage of it, you you definitely increase the likelihood that someone is going to do so. Now, as was mentioned, one of those suspects was was shot and killed. The other one uh, ran off. Uh, I believe that they have not yet uh, caught him, but uh, be ready. Be prepared. Now, on to Phoenix, Arizona. This is, uh, I've been saving kind of the, I guess, the best for, for last. I mean, as I read these stories, this was the one that was um, this was really compelling to me for whatever reason. Uh, this story happened at a Walgreens in North Phoenix. This was this last Wednesday. Uh, you had a suspect. His name is 30. He was 30 year old Stephen Hol- Holguin. And he was attempting to rob the, particularly the pharmacy section of the Walgreens there in North Phoenix. He went in, he was armed. He had a gun, two guns. Uh, he, fact. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, he pulled out the gun, jumped to the pharmacy counter, pointed the weapon at, at people, and demanded oxycodone from the pharmacist. 
A customer who is in the store and who remains yet unidentified uh, for his own uh, protection, uh, he was also armed, and he drew his gun and shot Holguin. After arriving at the drugstore, officers got everyone out of the store and found Hol- Holguin, who was still armed but wounded. A police dog was used to pull the man from his gun, and that they also discovered he had a second gun on his person. Police administered CPR to him, but he died at the scene. Yeah, so he was pretty seriously wounded. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, man, I would have loved to have seen the video with the dog. I got this crazy personal obsession with police dogs and military dogs. But, um, it, yeah, uh, this one's really interesting. We don't, another one of those things where some more details would be really nice to have or a sweet surveillance video would be great because it almost paints this picture that – some concealed carrier is like, oh, dude's robbing the pharmacy. He, you know, he jumped over that counter. Like, I'm going to run over there and shoot him. And maybe that is what happened. I don't know. Um, but it could very well be, you know, that that he was, you know, in the process of committing his robbery. He was doing lots of things. He was pointing his gun lots of places. And at some point, a customer was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to shoot me. And felt you know, that there was a threat. And so he reacted and, and fired. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of difference between those two versions of the story. We don't know which one or if either of those is really accurate. Uh, but what's clear is that uh, people are going to think twice about jumping pharmacy counters at Walgreens from now on. <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, this story, like I said, just really caught my eye because it, it's one of those things where um, you don't often see we're, – we're very much used to seeing uh, robberies that take place at convenience stores. That sort of thing we see all the time. We see robberies at banks, um, and if you know, and then a few other places. And Walgreens would be in one of those few other places. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a larger store. It's a lot more visible. They're usually placed in a lot busier places of you know of town. Uh, there's usually a lot more people in them. There's a lot more tactically challenging uh, uh, things about the environment within a Walgreens. It's just not always. It's not your ideal target. This guy obviously was very much focused. Very he he tar- he was targeting a specific drug. He wanted oxycodone, which of course we know commands a pretty steep price on the streets right now. Getting black tar and heroin is cheaper now than than a lot of these. Um, you know you know over the, or not really over the counter, but, you know, uh, prescribed uh, painkillers and things. So, oxycodone goes in with a gun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just a regular dude. You're, you're, you're going to Walgreens to grab some cough medicine or whatever, you know. And next thing you know, you got to draw your gun, your concealed carry pistol, and potentially save the life of multiple individuals within the store. I mean, to me, that this could have escalated very quickly. Uh, this guy, this Holguin fellow. I mean, the fact he had two guns on him. Uh, he wasn't there to play. Yeah, he he meant business. Uh, so, a fascinating story, and just another reminder. You know, it's not just about being ready and prepared all the time at home, but everywhere you you might be, everywhere you go, uh, you never know when you're going to be faced with a deadly uh, force scenario. Ditto. Indeed. I just had one other, one last thing to mention, by the way, uh, before we get to our sponsor messages, before we wrap up today's episode. 
And that is that uh, I mentioned already, I was uh, competing in the uh, Magpul Governor's Match in, near Cheyenne, Wyoming this last weekend. Um, I did all right. You know, I, I, I placed fairly well, I think, considering. Um, it was a fun match. It was a challenging match. But here's what, here's what I'm talking about, Jacob, because I think this is also newsworthy. This was sponsored, encouraged, and put on by the governor's office of the state of Wyoming. Shocker. It's my state, bro. Governor Meade said, hey, we want to recognize, we want to bring people in, we want to promote our firearms industry and firearms in the shooting sports. You know, we want to promote this in our state. And we want to ha- hold a world-class match and bring in people from all over the, the country or the world to shoot in this world-class match. And I just got to say, man, uh, props props to you, props to the state of Wyoming, props to Governor Meade uh, for his very open support of the Second Amendment, of the shooting sports, and of the firearms industry. It was amazing. I uh, the, during the the award ceremony, he awarded the top prize to the top shooter, which is Tim Yackley, and congratulations to Tim Yackley for that. Um, he then also read off, this is the governor, he read off all of the sponsors. To hear a, a governor, a sitting governor of a state, uh, at a shooting match and and recognizing the the industry the businesses and the people behind that match that were sponsors one of the coolest things i've ever seen so i just wanted to share that like i said i thought it was newsworthy and i challenge any other state governor to do the same thing yeah wyoming just became much cooler in riley's eyes It did indeed, really. I mean, I, I've always actually, you know, I am a big fan of, of Wyoming, always have been. I love giving Jacob a hard time about his state, but it really is a great state um, and an, a state that it has an even more awesome governor. Uh, your state is in good hands. Yep. Uh, interesting note, you know, Wyoming is a very small state in terms of population. I think it's either last or second last, similar to its alphabetical ranking. But in terms of land mass, you know, Wyoming is either the ninth, well, ninth if you're talking about uh, land area, but if you look at total square mileage, including water, Wyoming is the 10th largest state in this country. Um, so, it, it, you know, being the governor of Wyoming is a big deal, and we love that dude. Mead is, Mead is a great guy, and uh, people from Wyoming are smart, and they, they can shoot. Yeah, there were a lot of great shooters up there. So and and, uh, and and they did attract and bring in a lot of. I mean, the the whole Mitchellick family was there. Jerry, Kay, Lena, the Yackley family, Mark, Becky, Tim, uh, and their boys. Um, there was a couple other, you know, world class pro shooters. Of just it was a it was a great match, a really challenging match. Um, like I said, I did I did pretty well. I was I was satisfied with you know how I came out of there. Had a couple of stages I flubbed a little bit on. Um, had a well, one of them was a major malfunction with my handgun. Got that sorted out after the fact, and then it shot you know perfectly fine the rest of the match. Um, had a great time. So there you have it. Today's episode is brought to you by also not only we talked about Guardian Nation at the beginning and just a, one more little plug for our Guardian Nation live event next Tuesday, August 15th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Also, tomorrow's podcast episode is also with Mike Seeklander. Uh, so look forward to that. It's a pre-recorded interview I did with him just before I left for Wyoming. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by the company that is founded by another one of our past Guardian Nation Live uh, guests, and that is Kyle Lamb. Viking Tactics is a leader in quality fighting gear that really works. Designed by Special Forces veteran retired Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb, a great deal of thought and design goes into every piece, taking into account lessons learned and experience gained one can only achieve by fighting on the front lines and behind enemy lines of America's finest soldiers. Whether you need slings, weapon light mounts, belts, or training DVDs, check out VTAC's lineup of gears on our website, concealedcarry.com forward slash brand forward slash Viking dash tactics. Link in the show notes. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Brave Response Holster, which is one of the best holsters out there. It's most versatile, most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market. Check it out. You should probably already be familiar with it, but if you're not, or if you're new to the podcast, I would encourage you to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash brave response and check out the holster that'll fit nearly any semi-automatic handgun allows you to carry integrated into the holster, spare magazines, and will fit most people, no matter the size of your waist. Yep. So, there you have it. Go check them out. We appreciate our sponsors. Hope that you would uh, support them and their products. So, with that, I'm going to sign off. It's been another uh, another one of those episodes a great episode thanks for joining me jacob those episodes <laughs> you're welcome riley thanks everyone another one of those episodes means meaning it's it's a, another great episode uh thanks folks for supporting us in the podcast uh and for listening uh, obviously we would have no purpose and no point in doing it if we didn't have all of you many thousands of you that listen to this each week we thank you appreciate you we will see you in tomorrow's episode interview with Mike Seeklander. Don't miss it. And then we'll also see you again next week in the Guardian Nation Live with him, as well as continuing episodes of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Take care, everyone. And just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. I'm Riley Bowman with the Concealed Carry Podcast, signing off. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast